Here's the thing, though. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Halloween special. Here's the scream, though. <laughs> My name is Skaliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer-slash-editor, Count Mitchella. <laughs> Just getting serious for a sec. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kurungai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So, Count Mitchella... How are you doing this fine, spooky afternoon? I'm in a very spooky mood right now. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm actually doing good. I feel like, you know, I feel like every time we've recorded this podcast, there has been some sort of technical difficulty. Yes, every you guys have no idea how much oh, trouble right. we've and had. A, and so as producer, I've, I've taken it upon myself to just get everything done and get everything we need and just have it go smoothly. So I hope this podcast, it should sound better. It should flow better. Let's just let's just see how we go. Taking it upon himself. Yeah, with, exactly. Yeah, with, with my I- with my credit card, but okay. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, hopefully I haven't jinxed it, but I guess we'll see. Uh, and how about you, Skellyha? <laughs> uh, I have. I'm happy. I'm good. I finally brought back to life one of my plants in a very Frankenstein spookyish <gasps> kind of way. I oh know how, how on brand was that for this episode? That was actually not planned. I just realized as I was talking about bringing my plants back to life, that that's quite spooky. Um, it just like stopped flowering uh, like two weeks after I got it and I was miserable. But after lots of patience and a regular watering schedule and some fertilizer, it is happy and blooming. And it's good because I've been really miserable because... Undead. It's undead. Because <laughs> one of my other plants, I have a peace lily that I've had for like years. And, you know, like a month or so after I got it, it just stopped flowering. And for for years, you know, I've been trying to bring this plant back to life. And I just found out like very recently that apparently some plant shops will just like give the peace lily a hormone that like makes it flower for a couple of weeks. And then obviously the hormone fades out and it just doesn't flower anymore. So I've been scammed. Capitalism has scammed me. I thought I was getting a flowering plant and now I have it and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm very angry. Capitalism is ruining plants for me right now. We have created evil mutations of these plants it's <laughs> from, a, from a horror lab. It no, sounds like my a Frank terrifying and movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we're trying too hard for this spooky vibe, but I'm digging it. <laughs> um, before we get in to today, we're just going to do a quick bit of follow up from the last episode. Uh, a Instagram follower called Ash reached out to me on Instagram about some of the wording we used on our last podcast episode, and I think they were right in correcting us about potentially being a little bit dismissive about other mental illnesses aren't climate anxiety. Um, Particularly, they basically mentioned that, like most mental illnesses, are a genuine and valid response to trauma and that that isn't specific to climate anxiety, which is true. So I do apologise if we may have sounded a bit dismissive because that definitely wasn't the intention. So I'm very sorry about that. Um, I guess what we were trying to say is that what makes climate anxiety different is the gaslighting and weaponizing of that anxiety to silence young people and avoid climate action. But yes, as Ash did say and correct us many mental illnesses are yes very valid responses to trauma so you are valid i am very sorry if i invalidated you that is like definitely not my intention um and also just before we get into our topic today 
I guess I should tell you what it is, actually. I've just realized I haven't mentioned it. <laughs> we have a very spooky topic uh, for today. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about white women and true crime. <gasps> oh, my. <laughs> just like, you know, the true crime obsession. I'm sure many of you are familiar and guilty. Uh but before we get into it, we just wanted to give a trigger warning for this episode. We won't be getting into any gory details or, you know, anything like that. But obviously, given the topic, we will be discussing, I guess, murder and violence against women. Uh, if these topics are, you know, sensitive to you or may cause you some distress, maybe sit this one out. Um, it might not be great for you to listen to if you're worried about those kind of things. Please take care of yourself. It's okay. We won't be sad if you don't listen to the episode for those reasons. Love you. So let's talk about true crime. Uh, true crime has blown up uh, these past years to be one of the most popular genres of podcasts, TV shows, etc. Uh, well, actually, no, mostly podcasts, I would say. Let's talk about podcasts for a bit. So true crime has yeah, become one of the most popular podcast uh, genres out there. And I find that very interesting because I've actually never loved true crime. I have loved fictional crime. I was definitely a crime show junkie in my maybe tween to teen years. I was a Criminal Minds bitch. Loved it so much. The Criminal Minds, NCIS, you know, all of those kinds of shows. Law and Order SVU unit. Uh, well, SVU, I guess, not unit. But anyway, I used to really like it, but I've never liked true crime that much. I think the only true crime media... I've never listened to a true crime podcast. I've never been interested in it. Um, and the only, like true crime even shows that I've really watched. I watched a few episodes of the most recent Unsolved Mysteries um, show on Netflix, which I did really enjoy, but also felt quite disturbed by, which is why I stopped watching it. It freaked me out, lol. <laughs> and also I used to watch BuzzFeed Unsolved. I know people are going to be cringing right now, but yes, I loved BuzzFeed Unsolved. I used to like binge it in high school with my best friend and they had a true crimes and then like a supernatural like channel. And I used to watch the true crimes one of that but they're probably the only times I've done like true crime I've always liked the really fictionalized kind of crime what about you Mitch yeah I'm the same it's something that's never really interested me too much I remember listening to the serial podcast you know back when I was 15 but never really got into it though I have tried a couple of podcasts here and there like my favorite murder uh and some others and I'm always very surprised by th it's a very strange tone that they evoke uh, I was surprised about how like heinous and awful the crimes were that they would talk about. I just assumed that they would be like interesting murders, but no, it is hearing like in a somewhat lighthearted comedic sense with maybe uh, ironic sort of devilish undertones of uh, like rape and uh, torture and, and all this really awful shit. That was just surprised at the, the tone that was evoked. But yeah, that, that's that's my yeah. feeling on, on that. Like that's, I think that we will get into that a little bit more today because I do want to talk about just like, I don't understand how a comedic true crime podcast can exist. It just seems like an oxymoron to me because it's just like, this isn't funny. <laughs> like in my opinion, it's just not, I don't know. It's women getting murdered and raped. is just not really something to laugh about. But anyway, we will get into that. Um, true crime, funnily enough, is very gendered to the point where according to a few articles I've read between 75 and 85 percent of the audience for most true crime podcasts are actually women uh which is interesting for many reasons that we'll get into um but also just like this kind of cult following that true crime gets is often white women as well in particular you know there's like heaps of true crime like conventions um and like 
live podcast shows and things like that that like white women show up to in droves with their like wine and crime t-shirts and like there's, there's definitely like a big white female community oh, I hate saying female white woman community that like exists as the main I guess audience to be marketed to for true crime and I find that something that we're going to talk about a little bit because it is often also white women that are the victims in these podcasts and I do find it fascinating how people can be so interested and fascinated by the brutalization of their own kind of people. Before we get into it, I think I'll uh, distinguish a difference between like fictional crime and true crime uh, because I loved fictional crime, um, but I think it's not comparable in the way that true crime is because first of all, fictional crime isn't real. None of these people being murdered are real people unless it's like maybe an adaptation of like a, a crime that happened. But most of the time, if we're talking about criminal minds and NCIS and whatever kind of crime show that most of us were obsessed with in our teens, like it wasn't real and we were very aware that it wasn't real. Most of these episodes have a format that they exist on. It's quite neat. It always ends in a nicely packaged little resolution. You get your justice, you know. Um, it's like this entertainment that we don't necessarily have the guilt of like watching because we know these people are real. I don't have to feel bad about thinking the show is fun or hilarious because the victims are just fictional. And most of like the difference is like these shows exist mostly about the characters. They're, ca- they're often character driven as well. So like it's maybe a different crime every day, but we have a set like a, you know recurring characters that we have an attachment to, an investment to, and in their relationships. And you know, there's like an overarching plot. Yeah, the crime is just the device to explore other characters' motives or. Exactly, exactly. And that's the difference between, I think, that and true crime. Because there isn't necessarily a protagonist in true crime, especially if it's a different crime every episode. Really, maybe you are the podcast host, you know, whoever's telling the story or listening, you guys are kind of the protagonist because you're, like, journeying through, you know, whatever's happened and you're figuring it out. And it's about you and your exploration of the facts. It's not really about who it's a, it's not really about the people that are in the story because the the cast is limited to just the victim, the perpetrator and a couple of suspects and maybe the police officer. Like it's, it's different. And also these are real people that actually got murdered quite brutally and they have families and like people that are alive to this day that are like aware that there's podcasts, you know, discussing in quite a comedic manner, like the violent and brutal murder of their daughters. Like it, I do think it's not comparable the main basis being one is real and one isn't, but also just even the way that these genres are structured, the way these episodes are structured, the way the victims are discussed is very different. And, you know, the fucking propaganda. But <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, so I think maybe we'll start off with, like, why are women, and particularly white women, so obsessed with true crime in particular? I do think it stems from a desire for understanding like there's this curiosity or fascination with like the macabre like the evil of society it's something that we don't really see or come across in our own lives apparently I mean so many women are assaulted and murdered every day by men but you know the average the average Jane or whatever like you know you're just kind of living your day-to-day nine to five whatever and then you come home and you get to like really explore these dangerous aspects of society that you otherwise wouldn't explore and also that and you can do it safely right like you're not actually in danger you're just like watching from your couch and it's like it's just interesting like I understand why serial killers for example are interesting because it's just like what drives a person to do fucked up shit we want to know yeah exactly I mean I'm not into true crime but I definitely I feel like everyone does this will sometimes stay up till 3am scrolling through serial killers wikipedia page and just feeling a bit unnerved and a bit getting a bit of a thrill and it's that sort of curiosity 
I mm. feel that maybe drives our fascination with the true crime genre. Yeah, and speaking of thrill, I imagine a part of it is similar to like horror movies where there's just like an adrenaline kind of rush from getting to watch scary things or listen to scary things and just be a bit scared. I can't relate to that one though. I fucking hate horror movies. <laughs> I don't watch horror movies. The scariest thing I've watched in the last year is Jurassic World Cretaceous Camp, which is a kid's show. <laughs> and it was scary because there were dinosaurs eating people. That was scary for me. That's my horror. That show is very stressful. Yeah, I made I Mitch admit. watch it with me last night after I've already seen it. And he was like moaning and going, this is a kid's show. And then he watched it and he was shitting himself because it's actually stressful. <laughs> but that's, that's my horror. Like I don't go out of my way to scare myself. I fucking hate being scared. I actually hate it. Like Mitch has tried time and time again to get me to watch a scary movie with him and I'm just like, no. <laughs> I do like horror very much, but I guess we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah. So I do, yeah. So part of it is perhaps, you know, a genuine search for understanding other human beings. Part of it is adrenaline rush. Um, I want to mention a woman called Rachel Monroe who actually wrote a book um, precisely on this topic. So I guess like the obsession that society has with like savageness and brutality and true crime. And she actually put forth her own theory about like what brings a lot of white women together to all these convention stuff. Because the difference between just being obsessed with it and like being obsessed with it enough to like go to fucking conventions and shit to like talk about true crime. She said, quote, in some ways, I wonder if the true crime fascination, if the scene is in some ways a reaction against the yoga, wellness, meditation, peacefulness aesthetic that we see on Instagram. It's just so sun-kissed and happy and positive and life is just not all beautiful sunbeams and salad bowls. Something about the darker side of humanity is really appealing to the people at these conventions and they're just trying to find people they can share that with. I do think that's an interesting take. Um, and I think it's somewhat true. But I also like probably who wouldn't have been as romantic about describing it because to me that sounds like a very flowery way of saying... I'm not like other girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it does it does definitely seem like that, except maybe more intelligently worded. Yeah, it's just a bit romantic. But I do think that is definitely a vibe that comes in true crime community, at least what I've seen. I used to be part of a true crime podcast group like ages ago because it's just interesting seeing stuff in there. I left it pretty quickly <laughs> because it's just, it's, oh, people are so up their own ass sometimes in the, like those communities. There's a real sense of superiority. Like we're not like other people. We're into the gruesome macabre of the world. You know, we're not daisies and sunshine like other girls. We're not dainty, you know. And it's just, it's a bit weird because it's like, I mean, they're not mutually exclusive in any capacity, but there's definitely an idea of like victimized womanhood and then women who are into true crime. And there's, like, an idea of, like, we would survive that situation. Which I think is, like, a huge driver of why white women like crime or, like, true crime. And why, like, I guess even women just in general, I think, like crime. I think there's an, there's an idea that it makes us feel more equipped to handle scary situations. Like, maybe we can learn from true crime. Maybe we won't be those women who get murdered and raped because we know better, because we've listened to all these true crime shows. We know what suspicious behavior to look out for. We know how to protect ourselves. And it's just, maybe there's this kind of, I think it's a bit farcical, but maybe there is an idea that, like, we can learn from other women's mistakes and that, like, empowers us in a way because we think that we can actually protect ourselves by, like, learning about the way, you know, fucking sociopaths or whatever function. Yeah, I think maybe part of it is sort of 
trying to put yourself in the shoes of the victims and being like, oh, maybe if I did that differently, like that wouldn't have happened. It's like maybe when you're up late and thinking about like, what would happen if there was a home invader right now? Like, what would I do? What's my plan? What's the exit? I think it's the same sort of fascination with yeah. that. And I think, I think that's why it's, I think that's maybe an element of why it's so gendered because this like true crime means something more to women because we're the ones who I guess feel unsafe a lot more of the time because we're not more likely to be murdered than men. More men commit murder and more men are murdered than women, statistically. But we are the ones who are more likely to be targeted for gendered reasons, right? We're more likely to be, like, randomly fucking killed and stuff like that. And there is an air of fear that I imagine all women and gender-diverse people feel when they're just out on the street. You know, just things like holding your keys between your fists and having your earphones in but not pressing play. Like, we're all pretty aware about the likelihood of being, you know, murdered. Um, And I think that maybe true crime makes us feel safer in a twisted kind of ironic way because while we listen to all these horrible stories that remind us how easy it is to get murdered, we also are equipped with stories that allow us to maybe not make a quote, like, you know, not the same mistakes or whatever. Um, I do think that's quite, I don't think that's a very good take in the sense that I don't think we should be thinking that way and I'll get into it in the next section when we talk about what's wrong with loving true crime. But before we get into that, I also want to mention that like, I think another reason people like, or white women in particular, like true crime is because it's got a very good uh, way of doing like propaganda kind of like justices and stuff where it tends to have a clear good guy and a clear bad guy. And you normally get a sense of justice out of it because you listen to these like long-winded stories of like how somebody was like really brutally raped or murdered or whatever. And eventually the cop through all his like investigations or the detective or whoever's investigating the case and all their, you know, interviewing and DNA testing or whatever find the serial killer, right? Or the killer in general. Yeah, despite the evil of the world, uh, the justice system were, will, will prevail. Yeah, and it can be. I think it can be comforting for a lot of people, particularly women of color. Because I'm, I'm sorry, particularly white women, because I think women of color give far less fucks about the justice system in general. Yeah. But I imagine for a lot of white women who often rely on the police to protect them, it is a good way of maybe reinforcing their feelings of trust in the justice system. And in a world where it's becoming increasingly hard to trust the justice system and the police in particular, I can see why some white women would like kind of flock to true crime podcasts because it there is like a bureaucratic element to it there is like an order of society and the steps you have to follow and if you follow all those steps you'll be okay which is not how the real world works but it's how true crime podcasts tend to work and it sells an idea of crime and the way crime is solved and the way victims work and the way perpetrators work that makes this whole thing digestible and it makes the world despite being scarier because it reminds you how people fucking die in it it also makes it seem less chaotic Exactly. Yeah. There's a return to equilibrium at the end. You know, you start listening, it gets a bit scary, you feel a bit unnerved, and then everything is resolved by the end through the the bureaucratic systems that do uh, inhabit the world around you as the listener. Yeah. Well, obviously, it's totally valid and fair if you feel that way. Um, There are quite a few problematic elements to the true crime world, and particularly the true crime podcasting world that we want to talk about. There are some pretty toxic ideas that get circulated because of this industry, and I think it's really worth breaking those down and discussing them. So I guess let's talk about maybe some of the problematic elements of the true crime genre. I really dislike the mindset that, you know, listening to true crime can be, I guess, empowering for women or, like, make us feel safer because now now we've learned what to do and what not to do in those scary situations because it's like 
Do we think it was a lack of knowledge <laughs> that got other women raped, murdered, killed? I don't think so. I don't think that I think there's I think this mindset can often accidentally push through the idea that if we're learning from these other women's mistakes that those women made mistakes, you know, that there is something that they did to potentially elicit getting murdered, which is obviously never an okay thing to sell. And I don't think anybody does that on purpose, but it is something that I notice when I read about people's opinions on true crime, particularly women talking about how, you know, it makes them feel safer because now they know what to do or what not to do. Because I guarantee you a lot of those women who got killed and murdered had also at some point, you know, thought about the things you're thinking about. And probably, I guess I'm sure some of them listen to true crime. Everybody listens to true crime or like watches true crime stuff. Like, Listening to or reading about other people's murders does not make you more equipped to survive a murder. And I don't like the idea that some women just didn't know better and that's how they died. Because the truth is they died because somebody tried to kill them. They died because somebody murdered them. And once somebody is like intent on murdering you, there's probably not that many things you could do to get yourself out of the situation if it was like a premeditated attack, you know? Maybe we can talk about something being a little bit different when it's random, but even then, it just goes into murky territory. It reminds me of, like, well, what was she wearing when we talk about rape victims? Or why was she in a dark place at night by herself, etc.? They're very similar mindsets. It's, it's a very murky, grey area to be having discussion. So I feel like I don't like it. But that being said, there is maybe a little bit of truth to it, despite it being uncomfortable to, like, admit it. You know, think about tropes of, like, uh, men kidnapping women when they ask them to, like, help load stuff to the back of their car. I had no idea that that was, like, a dangerous thing before I'd, like, heard about it happening in murder shows or, like, in true crime things. You know, I probably wouldn't have said no to somebody who, like, an old man who asked me to help him put stuff in his trunk up until I had read those things. So, like, maybe, maybe, yeah, in some ways it does educate us. But I don't think that should be used as a justification for, like, oh, yeah, but that's why it's okay to obsess. That's why it's, that's why it's you know, me obsessing over the brutalization of women is completely empowering to me. You can do it. That's your hobby. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with listening to these podcasts. But like, let's not pretend that it's like empowering, you know? That's a, that's a pretty loaded word to use in conjunction with female murder. Also, there's, you know, the other maybe obvious problematic element of true crime is it's all just literally propaganda. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like I don't have to explain that too much. It just reinforces that the police institution... They're just heroes who save animals in distress. They protect women. They're people who catch the bad guys. When in reality, you know, if we did a true crime show about black deaths, cops would probably be one of the biggest killers that we talk about. Like, what if we did a true crime series on black deaths in custody? The whole idea of, like, the police institution would shift. But in a lot of these true crime podcasts that exist currently, cops are definitely treated as, like, heroes. And it just reinforces the idea that we should rely on the police for protection when... For those of you who aren't familiar, Mitch and I are very ACAB. <laughs> We're very ACAB. We mm-hmm. uh, don't believe that the police institution exists to protect us. We think it exists to reinforce, oh no, to enforce like capitalist ideology and power. Uh, I wrote an article on this. If any of you guys want to understand our position of ACAB more, I wrote an article called Why ACAB Isn't As Controversial a Term As You Think. Y'all should listen to it if you don't know much about this topic. Maybe one day we'll do a podcast episode on it. I think we definitely should. Um, I reckon we should. But for now, you guys can read the article until we make an episode. ACAB. ACAB. Um, but yeah, continuing on from that just a little bit, just as an example of, I guess, propaganda in true crime podcasts. Uh, there's a true crime podcast called Crime Junkie. It's very, very popular. I'm sure if you listen to true crime podcasts, you've probably listened to it. Um, and there's, there, have, there was 
an interesting article that I read that discussed that this podcast actually told followers or listeners that it's okay to call the police. The context of that was they were discussing how a woman was like murdered or like kidnapped or whatever from her workplace. A customer came in, she was in the back room. The customer heard scuffling, didn't think much of it and left while that woman was like obviously being attacked in the back. And it was all like, oh my God, see, this is why we've got to call the cops for suspicious behavior because we never know what's happening. And so they, they were like, that was kind of their stance. Which obviously, to me, sounds fucking awful. You know how terrifying it is to know that white women just want to call the cops anytime something is suspicious? Like, let's talk about Amy Cooper, who just, like, called the cops on that black guy in that New York, in uh, Central Park. Let's talk about all the times white women have misjudged a black man as being suspicious, called the cops, and gotten him killed. This is not something, this is not, y'all white women, you should not be having a mindset that you should just call the cops anytime something is suspicious because that's how, like, people of colour die. <laughs> y'all get us killed this way. Don't call the cops on us. No, like, I guess if you're in immediate danger, like, sure, I'm not going to tell you not call the cops, but, like, let's not have a mindset that if you ever see anything even mildly suspicious or you think that something might be weird, you call the cops because calling the cops gets good people murdered quite frequently, especially people from marginalised backgrounds. In Australia, especially... Aboriginal people or First Nations people. Like, we are having a crisis with black debts and custody in this country. Imagine if people stopped calling the cops on Aboriginal kids that are, like, you know, I don't know, quote-unquote vandalising or whatever people, like, use an excuse to just, like, racistly attack Aboriginal kids. Like, we can't have this mindset. <laughs> this is problematic. This is propaganda. Stop calling the cops. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Um... These true crime podcasts also, like, rarely centre the victim's humanity. Uh, and they usually package, like, really violent, heinous crimes ag- uh, against women by men, as Mitch mentioned. And they sell it back to us. Like, they profit off the murder and abuse of real women. Like I said before, this is different to, like, fictional crime because there isn't actually a victim. But with true crime, these are real women that actually got, like, brutally murdered and raped and their families are still grieving and recovering. And a podcast has the power to just, like, make an episode of it and, like, package it as entertainment and profit off of it. You know, like, how are we turning this into an industry? It's just, it's a bit, I think it's a bit fucked up that, like, us as women in particular are okay with having our murders and deaths like, used as entertainment and sold back to us and then we, like, contribute to it by buying the merch and, like, going to these conventions and, like, talking about other women that could have been us, that very easily could have been us, as, like, entertainment. Uh, exactly. I think it's not really discussed enough how these podcasts are situated within capitalism. You know, like, these are businesses who are exploiting and profiting off of the the rape and murder and mutilation of women that they then... Uh, repurpose into a somewhat light comedic tone where people go to conventions to sort of celebrate uh, these uh, gruesome explorations. I mean, we see that within capitalism, uh, the woman's body is constantly objectified and commodified and not even after death are bodies uh, stopping or ceasing to be commodified. We even continue to objectify the, the murdered, raped, mutilated body of, uh, of these white women. Yes, exactly. You know, I just, oh, look, I would reframe it, but that was just said so perfectly. Thank you, Mitch. It's so true. Even in death, we're not escaping this bullshit. (laughs) Like, (laughs) even in death, people are still profiting off the woman's body. And in true crime podcasts, it is typically white women, which I find, which we'll get into a little bit uh, in a sec. But yeah, it's just like, how are we like chill about this? How is it so normal? And why 
are we as women so complacent in it? I mean, I know why. We just talked about it in the beginning of the episode why why women are into true crime. Like there's there's elements of it that are relatable or make us feel safe or whatever. But I think it's time to have a little bit more critical thinking when it comes to the industries that we support. Because while it's entertainment for you, there are like grieving families who have to like watch like white girls on the internet like discuss the death of their daughter like it's a, like a mystery for them to solve like some fucking scooby-doo gang you know like this shit's not cute this shit's not like a fun game people die like people are dying and i just don't think there's enough compassion you know when it comes to victims and the way a lot of podcast hosts talk about victims and you know, even if there is compassion we still can't ignore the fact that they are while being compassionate, completely profiting off of and exploiting uh, these tragic events. Yeah. And it's like, even even then, I feel like often podcast hosts talk about like these victims with, a lo- with quite a bit of callousness and like a lack of empathy and compassion. You know, like I mentioned a bit earlier, I don't really understand how you can have a comedic true crime podcast talking about the way women die. I mean, my favorite murder is probably like one of the more famous ones that kind of function in that genre of like kind of comedic, funny, lighthearted, dynamic duo besties talking about like the brutalization of women. And it's just like, it's like a sleepover vibe. It's like two girls having a chat. And I'm just like, I don't know. I just don't like the tone of this. I think it should be more, I think it should be taken more seriously. I don't think it should be so laughable because it just ma- it just normalizes it in my opinion it just like normalizes we're just we're just used to women getting fucking murdered it's just everyday life now it's just things that happen then we go and make movies and like podcasts and books about it and no one is actually like doing the work to like protect women it's just a discussion it's just fun and yeah i mean i guess let's talk about like not doing anything about it let's talk about the fact that so many true crime podcasts actually really lack nuanced politics when it comes to discussing, like, how a man comes to murder a woman, okay? The problem is, that, like, a lot of them just chalk it down to, like, sociopathic behavior. Like, there's a real idea of, like, sociopathic serial killer and then innocent white victim who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's like, that's not how it works most of the time. I mean, in Australia, like, one woman a week at least, sometimes it's more, on average, one woman a week is murdered at the hands of a current or former partner. Are you telling me that all these men are sociopaths? Because they're not. A lot of these men are normal, regular men who beat the fuck out of their wives and then end up murdering them. It's, there's a real disconnect, right? When you, when you call a man who murders women a sociopath um, or like just a serial killer, you know, even just like to talk about like mental illness or mental disorders. First of all, that stigmatizes people that have mental illnesses because not everybody with a mental illness is going out fucking murdering people. Yeah, it's, it's very ableist in that sense. Yeah, it's very ableist in that sense. And then on top of that, it really denies the agency of men because, oh, if men are being, if the men are killing women and they're being sociopaths, it's because, look, they don't actually have the capacity for empathy. Look, they don't actually have the capacity to control themselves. And that's just not true. It's fucking scapegoat. Yes, I'm sure some serial killers and stuff are social. Um, I guess with serial killers, maybe it's a different story. But for just talking about murderers in general, like men in general that murder women, the vast majority of them are not sociopaths. They're just shit fucking people, usually misogynists, who think it's okay to harm women because society actually regularly normalizes brutalizing women, right? And this is when we talk about nuanced politics because I think if you want to talk about true crime, you want to talk about the murder of women, you should have a responsibility to talk about the sister, the systemic infrastructure that allows those things to happen. You know, like we need to talk about, I guess, the responsibility of capitalism, racism, misogyny, poverty, 
that are all kind of interlinked, all the all the class and other intersections that are interlinked that cause some crimes. You know what I mean? It's there are a lot there are a lot of things to talk about, but mostly also fuck I hate the sociopath thing. I hate it. How many sociopaths actually exist in the world? Not that many. Yeah, plenty of women are getting murdered every day. Speaking of class, race, and misogyny, let's also discuss that by far and large, true crime podcasts and other kind of true crime media focus on the suffering of cis, straight, white women, despite the fact that women of colour and especially trans women are far more likely to be victims to murder. Because the truth is, these mediums frequently capitalise off the innocent white woman you know, whose narrative is just so pervasive in every part of society. They are, white women are sympathetic victims. You know, they're relatable. They are, I guess, the default person as white women. They're generalizable, so to speak. So white women can identify more with white female victims and then they consume media about them. You're more likely to read about people who are like you that die, you know, in like quite awful ways. So there's this, this element of like, you know, that could be me. Uh, and if it was, here's what I would do, right? And that's what we talked about earlier with, like, I guess white women putting themselves in the shoes of women who get murdered and then that's why they consume a lot of this media because they have a plan then. But, like, this is on purpose. There's a reason they only focus on white women when, by far and large, you all are the minority when it comes to being murdered. It's because you guys are seen as more palatable victims. We feel more sorry for you. We care more about you. It's just, it's so much scarier if innocent white women are to be murdered. Because we can't we kind of justify the murder of white women, you know, unlike women of colour or trans women who often are when we get murdered, there's always a there's always a reason, right? There's always something we did, we were in a place we shouldn't have been, we were around people we shouldn't have been, we allowed ourselves to be victims of a situation. There's so many ways to gaslight uh, murder victims of marginalized backgrounds, which we can't which we don't often do our society to white women. We afford them the benefit of the doubt. We afford them innocence. Which is something we've talked about a lot, I think, throughout this podcast in general, in other episodes. Like just like I guess the white femininity and how special it is and how protected by society it is to the point where even when we're talking about death, y'all are afforded that innocence and femininity and we're not. Yeah, it, it propagates that idea of, you know, the sheltered white woman. Uh, compared to, you know, maybe the people of color that come from bad neighborhoods, you know, where bad things happen. It's expected. But the white woman in, you know, this this good this good area, like, what a surprise, right? Yeah, I can't believe she got murdered. That's shocking. Mm. White women getting murdered is shocking. Others of us getting, like, other types of women getting murdered is just, that's just... Like, whoa, it can happen to anyone, even me? Yeah, right? There's a real, there's a real class and race disparity. Um, and that's why it's just more shocking. Because for some reason, your lives are afforded... I guess, more sympathy than us. Um, I know that there are some podcasts that do true crime well. I've heard that ABC's Trace is really good at discussing the systemic issues uh, and I guess society's shitty infrastructure, which actually lead to the disproportionate violence against women of colour and other people from marginalised backgrounds. Um, but those are not the norm. <laughs> They're the exception in an incredibly like voyeuristic and cynical industry. And also, I think one last thing I'm going to say about this is if it was just about mystery, if y'all were just interested in the mystery element of it, there would be a lot more true crime podcasts that focus on non-violent crimes. I know there are a couple at the moment. I know there's some really good ones actually, also I've heard, about like fraud and embezzlement and like that kind of like, like I guess non-violent crimes, stealing, you know, there's apparently a lot of good 
podcast that really discussed that. And, like, that could be really interesting. Like, I would listen to that. And because I actually really love a good mystery. I do. I just get a bit triggered when I listen to, you know, stories about women getting murdered. Um, So it's like if it was just about the mystery, that would be a huge part of the true crime community. But the true crime community is by far and large about women getting murdered. And I think we need to remember that. So I guess that leads me to ask you, does the uh, cr- true crime genre have more in common with crime films or the crime genre or more so with horror? Uh, what part of our entertainment diet does that does it satiate? I actually think true crime has less in common with crime as a genre than it does with horror, which I think is maybe a bit of a weird take to some people because it's literally got crime in the name. But the way they the genres function is actually very different. Like, if I think of crime as a genre, I think of crime novels that you've read, movies that you've watched, it's usually like a... Typically, if we're going to talk about the stereotype, it's usually got like a quite macho male detective guy that's like solving a mystery about how a woman's been murdered or whatever. But it's very much about the man. It's about the man in the situation and how he's navigating the story. Half the time, the women aren't even named. <laughs> I don't even know who these women are, you know, from the few. I've read a few. I've actually read a few crime novels. So I used to really like that genre. Um, and it's often, you know, even if you think about the movies that you watch, the kind of like gritty, like Chicago, like crime or mafia. Like it's very much about, it's very masculine. Um, and I think it centers more about the character than it does about the crimes that are being happen- that are happening in the background. I think the women's suffering in crime novels is a plot device to further the story of the character. Whereas I think in horror, it's actually different because horror is about like scaring you and upsetting you and freaking you out, making you uncomfortable. You know, horror will talk, like horror will describe or visualize or whatever women's suffering in a far more intense way than crime does. And I think true crime does it the way horror does it. Like, I actually think true crime is less about, like, the unsolving of a mystery for justice, even though that is probably why we listen to it. But I think they really utilise a lot of horror tropes to, like, really make your skin crawl with the way they talk about women. It's why when we listen to these podcast episodes, it's not just about women being, like, murdered. It's, like, there's some fucking gruesome details happening with the way that women are murdered. And there's this really kind of interest in like the description of it which is similar to me with horror whereas crime I feel like that stuff happens in the background and what's in the foreground is the detective I think yeah I I agree I think uh, crime the, the genre typically focuses on unraveling a narrative it focuses on the process whereas horror often glorifies or takes I mean uh, great interest in the gruesome details itself However, I do want to offer, I guess, the horror genre as an alternative to true crime and maybe focus on some of the ways that I think horror and especially horror films recently have really been taking that genre to do powerful things that I guess true crime podcasts can't really do. So despite horror often being a genre that has relied on exploitation, if you want to look at, you know, the 1980s and the exploitation films objectifying and sexualizing uh, female bodies and a lot of horror tropes are very ableist focusing on, you know, dangerous mentally ill people. I would argue that horror has a far greater potential to comment on these things than true crime does. So for example... True crime functions through an unfiltered and sort of visceral fascination with the most evil shit. 
it exploits the most gruesome details, but doesn't really offer any resolutions or really any commentary on what these acts of violence or these uh, crimes actually say about greater society. It may recount crimes or sexual violence and reveal wider society to be a misogynistic and racist place, but the nature of these programs don't really offer any deeper commentary beyond that. where, where else I feel horror films actually have a really great potential to not only show the, gr- the gruesome details and maybe unnerve us and, and reveal deep taboos that we don't really discuss, but is actually able to commentate and maybe uh, evoke a deeper understanding of those issues. So, for example, I think Get Out is a really great recent horror film that we've both seen. Uh, it's like the one horror film that I actually watched. Film. It's the only horror film that I've actually watched with Mitch. So I guess I lied earlier. There was one time where I said yes, and it's because I really wanted to watch Get Out. Yeah, and through, I guess, the structure of a horror film, it's able to find a type of transgressive meaning. It's able to pinpoint an emerging type of racism that wouldn't really be able to be articulated in any other medium. And this isn't even a new thing with horror films, I feel. A really great horror film, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it functions on a deeper level than just being, you know, a violent, exploitative mess. Uh, It's actually an allegory for the media's glorification of the violence of the Vietnam War. Even the first ever zombie movie, The Night of the Living Dead, which is a great film from 1968, is a brilliantly subversive movie. After a resourceful black hero makes it to the end of the film and survives the night, he is shot- Wow, revolutionary. Yeah, exactly. The black man survives. (laughs) And this was in the 60s. He was shot- At the end of the film, he is shot by a posse of gun-slinging middle American white men who mistake him for a ghoul, showing that racism is a bigger threat to any person of color than the zombie apocalypse. Boom. Ultimately- Horror films are an important, subversive, and transgressive space where we are able to explore society's taboos. You know, sex, drugs, and violence, yes, but also reflect on the experiences of those rarely represented in media. Horror films provide a space where we don't expect things to be uh, wrapped up in a neat bow like we do when we typically go to the movies. And because of that freedom that horror filmmakers are given, they are able to present stuff on the screen that most traditional media wouldn't dare to explore. And I think through that, unlike true crime, they're just for shits and gigs, we'll just explore awful, awful shit uh, and offer no deeper commentary on it. Horror can take that awful shit and repurpose it to speak on experiences that maybe uh, aren't normative or aren't really discussed. And, you know, some of the best feminist or queer films are firmly established within the horror genre. So... I don't think it's necessarily bad to take pleasure or enjoy these uh, violent mediums, or these, these violent narratives. I think we should be more critical instead of the way they're explored and what can, they can do for society at large and our own understandings. Yeah, exactly. Like, I guess we should end this on a note of like, no one is taking a dig at you guys for loving true crime. That is so fine. That is so fine that you love true crime. We just, I guess, want to be more critical about the way we consume media and the ideas that are being sold to us. Because, I mean, despite the fact that I'm a big horror movie hater, <laughs> I actually like to get out, though. I feel like I should say that. So if you are, like, terrified of horror movies, you will probably survive Get Out, because I did, and I, I fucking hate horror movies. But, yeah, like, I guess the point is horror movies have the creativity and freedom, because they're not real, to actually do something interesting and meaningful. You know, there's actually a wider storyline because it's fabricated. Um, It gives the director or writer a freedom to tell you a story. Whereas with true crime, y'all are just like 
listening to the murder of like real women and there is nothing more to it, you know? Like there isn't really a discussion of like how those women are exploited, how we're exploiting them ourselves by listening to this stuff. I don't think it's necessarily bad to find enjoyment in violent media. Like I, for one, I'm a big horror fan and really enjoy violent horror movies because I actually think it's really interesting uh, to see the human body explored in these sort of transgressive ways. I guarantee you someone is going to inbox know. me telling me that that's such a red flag. And that I should, <laughs> someone's like, why are you with this guy? Who oh loves, my, I, know. I promise you guys, I don't think Mitch is going to murder me. No, I'll cut that out. No, I'm kidding. I think it's like, <laughs> but that is something, you know, if you want to look at some directors like David Cronenberg, who take a lot of pleasure in body horror. And it actually somewhat comments on the bodily experience by seeing our bodies distorted in ways that you don't really see in everyday life. So I do think it's fine to uh, find unnerving pleasure in it. But we need to be critical of, are we just taking pleasure in violence for violence sake? Or is there some sort of uh, commentary or meaning behind it? Yes, I guess that's that's the summary of today. When you consume stories about the brutalization of women and other marginalized groups, think about why you're doing it, what the meaning is, who is selling it to you. Just critical thinking, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess this is a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you, our listeners. We have actually finally figured out how we want to proceed with monetizing this podcast. So we are starting a Patreon and we're really happy with that because it means we can still avoid being slaves to the capitalist machine by uh, relying on your support. Yay. (laughs) The Patreon isn't live yet, but it'll be up and running and ready for patrons by next week. In the meantime, though, if you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, and something you learned from, please consider donating to our PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash Sleeha, to support future episodes. The PayPal link is in my Instagram bio, so check it out over there at Sleeha Official, and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And keep an eye out on that link in bio, because hopefully the Patreon should be up there pretty soon, in the next couple of days. Also... If you have any comments or suggestions or want to add to the discussion, you can email us at here'sathingthoughpodcast at gmail.com and please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info or you can DM me at Official. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Sweet. Thank you. Have a very spooky Halloween. <laughs> Bye. <Mwahaha. laughs>